I know what they are up to because I am reading their messages. I'm yeah, well, I, I, sorry. Um, yeah. I, I, so I see if you don't want to read too much into that, Gundy. I, I, I understand that, that there's not much to, there's not meat on that bone, but the, it, it still baffles me that 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 piece of information is so timely available and I, I don't believe that if you're not in a Russian military you would have access to any of that bridge and that's such a strategic point in the person defense on the Russian side so I mean um, in a Western military it would never fly but the weird thing is is that the Russian military leaks like a sip I can give you an example I knew that Ilya Suprek had been killed nearly an hour before the official report confirming his death was published. And I didn't publish that because I was like, there is no earthly way that my source could probably, could could realistically know this. Well, it turns out that I was wrong because my source absolutely did know this um, and and made no bones about the fact that like, yeah, this guy's definitely dead. And if this guy is on board um, a uh, an emergency rescue tug, he is almost certainly on his way to do like heavy duty trigger puller shit. Like this guy's an internal security guy. You don't send him uh, unless you need somebody to have a total sense of humor failure about a problem. Right. So, okay, let's let's conclude my question with um, uh, Russian OPSEC is most likely um, really, really bad, even worse than the S-300 and the T-72s. And uh, actually, Portland, I have a question for you for radar later when the when there's an open uh, forum again. Uh, I don't want to uh, spend more time on this. Right? Or I don't want to derail from the bridge discussion. Right? Oh, I'm I'm open for for bridge questions. That's all cool. Uh, assuming that the uh, space is okay with that. Yeah, no problem. You guys should be aware you've got about an hour before my evening meds kick in and I have to rack out. I think JJ was waiting and then Gunther. Thanks, Gurney. Um, I actually had a small correction um, and it's with regard to Donnie's comment about HIMARS. I believe he said they are so accurate that they could shoot the boner off a duck. And that's a measurable difference. And I thought that deserved a correction. Is that an objection or is that, um, I mean, if you land 150, sorry, if you land uh, 149 pounds of shrapnel with a decent sized bursting charge, I'll wager that that duck doesn't have an erection by the time it's, uh, it's finished with the situation. Well, excuse me, so the boner of a duck is actually about half the length of its body. And uh, if it's not erect, it's a, a pretty much inside of its body. So, yeah, it's important distinction here. Well, I think the last one we need to, to chime in on this is uh, Donnie, Donnie Dagowitz. I'll tell you right here, I got no uh, comment about uh, duck boning. Good night. Weak source. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, JJ, for that correction. That was uh, that was wonderful. We like to be corrected here when we're not on the spot here. Uh, sorry, Gunther, you've been waiting, and then Herm. Uh, I think it's really interesting about the idea of of like either you know showing that you can hit that bridge because uh, um, I was I was just curious this morning, and I was searching because I knew like. Um, like bridges are very special in military history. And so I just did some searching on like battle of bridge and oh my God, there have been so many militaries that have been completely clobbered on bridges. Um, it's a, uh, it's a thing. Um, it's pretty, anyway, this is pretty interesting. Um, uh, that has to be going through a lot of people's mind. You know, you, you bring up a good point here, Gunther, right? Uh, and, and to add in and tie into what, what Portland was saying, you know, if this was sent as a message, it's it's two, right? They clearly didn't try to take out the bridge, and it clearly didn't look like there were targets near it, at least not to us, and clearly targets weren't destroyed. Um, 
but the accuracy of the weapon seems to be pretty good. Um, that that they're trying to send a message, right? Who who hasn't seen a bridge too far? Who hasn't seen you know? Um, you, you name the historical bridge, and um, and I'm sure you can speak to some some battles where uh, you know it would make you think twice in hindsight. So if that's the point of this strike, if if the point of the strike is to uh, let them know, hey, we can reach out and touch this anytime we want. Then you would hope you would hope that they think twice, um, especially when they're being pinched between Nova Kokovka and Hersan. Um, and you want those guys to look left and right and wonder whether their unit's sticking around or not, especially if they're if they're getting supplies still, or if the bridge is going to be gone tomorrow. What are they going to do? I mean, because Nova Kokovka is pretty close, but it's still a good 30, 40 kilometers away, um, and that's that's a heck of a distance um, if they have to pull a retreat or. Yeah, or, or like suppose they had to retreat to that bridge in a big long file, you know, um, disaster. And and you've seen what they what what a disaster just a, a pontoon bridge was, you know, made. We we've all seen that um, closer to Izum. I think that was um, I I think that was near Liman when we saw that um, pontoon bridge. You know, that's that's not even uh, one tenth the distance across. Uh, as the Antonovsky Bridge and, uh, and, and the Antonovsky Bridge is, is much wider than that. So you can imagine the bottleneck if they really wanted to take that out. Um, what, what would ensue to get all their units back across? Oh, one more thing. They can't get their units across, right? Because if they start moving them, like tomorrow, like say they started to move people out, they would, start, they would get hit. Like that's a guaranteed thing. Like you're funneling all your people through a little tunnel. Like they... How do they get across if they even want to? Well, and to add to that, I, I don't have the answer to that, right? But to add to that, now we know that it's not just pre-sighted, but they've got two pre-sighted rounds on target, um, and they're only going to get better from there. I would imagine they're only going to get better from there. I'm reminded a lot of uh, Severodonetsk, right? Like, before Severodonetsk happened, we saw the Ukrainians start using precision artillery strikes on the forces going in and out of the city, right? And so, basically, it looked like the Russians sort of got trapped, like, or if not trapped, like, there was this cordon of area of fire, right, as the trucks came into the city or the vehicles came into the city where they were attacked, and what we saw when that happened was a major counterattack, this weird kind of unprecedented maneuver where Ukraine took back a good portion of the city of Severodonetsk, right? And so, I don't know, to me, it, it has kind of those, that vibe, right? The idea of the trucks and vehicles going into the city being vulnerable. But I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm uh, misreading the situation. Portland, uh, what do you think about that, like in terms of the comparison? I mean, the thing is, is that once you've put your enemy in a position where they have to... Uh, okay, let's let's go through the math. They've got to travel twice the distance uh, by truck. So they've gone from being able to bring trains up to within about 40 miles um, to needing to keep things around a hundred miles. So two and a half times the distance. Well, trucks, <clears throat> um, trucks have significantly higher downtimes than trains do. They need a lot more maintenance. They carry a lot less uh, in the way of munitions. They are um privates yeah that that they are much less fuel efficient they're much less reliable um it, it requires significant increases uh in in uh in maintenance so if you're talking about doing shuttle runs with artillery sorry with trucks instead of um, bringing your ammunition straight to the front line, then you are talking about, um, well, doubling the number of trucks you need for throughput, um, more than doubling your fuel consumption, 
um, doubling the uh, fatigue hours on the engines. Um, so in effect, you need probably three-ish times the amount of maintenance that you have to do. So when all is said and done, you're talking about probably dividing the amount of ammunition that you can supply uh, by about three. It also requires you to start bringing in uh, pretty significant concentrations. Like you need large numbers of trucks all in one place, right? Um, so the next logical place or a, a next log logical place that you would expect uh, Ukraine to start um, targeting with HIMARS um, would be these concentrations of trucks bringing in supplies because you can't really bring those in distributed. They've got to be brought in in bulk. Uh, which means you need lots of trucks. Remember that you can carry roughly 3,000 tons of freight with a train. You can carry, well, three to 5,000 tons. You can carry uh, three to five tons with a truck. So you need, um, if you think of it in terms of like truck weight hours, a, a train is worth um, about 1,500. Uh, truck payload hours. Um, and those trucks are going to have to be gathered in relatively large numbers. They are going to um, they are going to have uh, they're going to make really good targets. Um, they're going to be pretty concentrated. And as they approach the front, which they have to do, um, if Ukraine has the real-time target acquisition capability, I expect to see them hit very hard. Um, I think we may be on the cusp of the moment where the M31 starts showing up. Thank you, Portland. And, oh, Portland, go ahead. Oh, I, I waffled for plenty long enough. You guys indulged me uh, as much as, as as you should. Thanks, Portland. I always like your truck map. Uh, I, I, each time you explain it, I understand it a little more. Uh, let's go with that to uh, Herm. Uh, Herm, go ahead. Uh, thank you, Portland, for being so full of useful, interesting information. It is so delightful to listening to your takedowns and uh, appraisals of uh, various information. And I, I really needed to pick somebody's brain who understands radar. And um, that is related to, so I'm a German citizen and I'm somewhere between irritated, uh, appalled and disgusted. By the way, the German government is handling the support of Ukraine. And we agreed in terms of, well, as, as a country, that we're going to send Gepard tanks to Ukraine, and that happened summer in March, and that was a long time of training because it's a very complicated system. Uh, it's a highly involved piece of kit with a lot of technology and details, and that's coming to an end. They are, were promising to deliver them. Um, they're shooting approximately with the same um, rate as an AK-47, they're designed to take down um, helicopters, airframes, or whatever not. They're also very nasty against amassments of infantry, and it's really good that Ukraine gets those. You never have enough air defense at all. That's that's not the thing. Um, but we've seen in the last one or two months that uh, Ukraine is pretty good at defending their own airspace with some man pads, with our book systems, with whatever not they're having. So the Russians are not really able to penetrate Ukraine airspace anymore. That leaves two aerial assets of the Russians uh, being of concern. Uh, one is um, UAVs uh, providing spotting data for Russian artillery. And the other one is the terror attack weapons they're using to strike Ukrainian cities. And so my question was, uh, how capable are those Gepard um, spotting and tracking radars and 
picking up on those threats themselves? Or how much would they need the data feeds from other systems in, um, in real time in order to perform the task of taking down UAVs or cruise missiles? Okay, so I, I genuinely have nothing but good things to say about Gepard as long as it is used in its deliberately designed intended role. Uh, people have a habit of overhyping it. Not that, that I think that it is a generally overhyped system. It's actually a uh, fantastically capable um it's it's a incomparably good system i i can't say enough good things about it but it is not the be all and end all of an air defense network it is the last thing that you select um in this portland i think so portland if you can hear us we'll just uh we'll bump you down your mics looks like it's stuck in that mode where where you're talking but we can't hear you okay with that we'll uh we'll go to uh we've had a good flow here we've had a good night uh we'll go to jason and jason uh warning created his account in march so jason what do you got for us oh yeah i was gonna ask um portland about the high moors i i saw uh trent talinko's uh youtube and it stated that um the reason that the high Mars is not being uh, picked up by the S-400 is that it has the same flight pattern as a grad and, and speed. So I was wondering if, if this is, if this is the truth, I was wondering if, uh, if that would be a good uh, way to uh, make future weapons to, uh, to trick the S-400 or, or, or maybe uh, change the settings on uh, the weapons that we currently do have. I, I just don't want to know if this is the truth and if this can be used as a, a some sort of a radar trickery. Thank you. Uh, well, Jason, we lost Portland. Um, his mic cut off. We're going to try to bring him back up here, but he also said uh, he may sign off pretty soon. Um, I, I've heard him explain it a few times, but I don't want to... Uh, uh, butcher it, Joseph. Do you did you have a response for for Jason? I don't know if you can hear me. I'm having tech problems. I can I can uh, speak to this a bit. Like, I don't know a thing about geppards or crabs. Uh, I, I do know about javelins and HIMARS going together like uh, piss and farts. But what I will say is that you know uh, grad systems being retrofitted to new technology that's years away. We're, we're fighting a war right now. We are killing Russians, and we love it. And uh, that's all I have to say about this matter. So good night. Yeah, and I was also about that, too, is that I don't know if grads are going to be used in future wars, but if this is something that the the settings or it's all somehow it's being all done by software, that's how they can read uh, what, what what is what in the, the radar system or the S-400. So I was wondering if, if, if in the future we're, using another type of system. I mean, and I'm just wondering if that's going to be the future of this whole thing. Thank you. People are dying right now. I, I don't think we need to worry about the future. People, you know, young children, people, civilians are dying. So, this you know, could be I, I really want to focus on here. Yeah. This, this could be used right now. I'm just saying it's like if we could just uh, make weapons that are seem like other weapons that they use, we could use yeah, that yeah. as a way to defeat their radar. That's something yeah, that can case, be used currently. You do it, you do it, you come back to me in two years. I'll be here with Okay. With the chat. Love you, brother. Thank you. Okay, thank you. All right. Well, uh, let's see here. Let's see. I think Gunther was up and then uh, John. Oh, uh, I, I do believe that the Russian systems kit will be adapted to be able to tackle HIMARS. It just probably won't be uh, in time. Um, and that then we'll give time for HIMARS to adjust to. So it's just the... The, me- the measures, countermeasures, dance. Um, and the one thing oh, that Portland didn't mention that I was going to comment on too, which is I said privates uh, because uh, um, m- my experience with the military is that uh, you've got 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds driving these 5-ton, 10-ton trucks 
at night and they're tired and they're whatever. And like, it's, it is, there are so many accidents and problems and, uh, you know, things like tip over, roll over, get stuck, uh, you know, you name it. So it's like, it's, there's this human element and it's a lot of people too, that have to, you know, move these things. So that's, a, that's another huge disadvantage to having a, a lot of trucks. Mike, Apparently I am the only co-host now. So John, your hand is up, sir. Thank you. Finance. Um, Sorry if the conversation has moved on. I've been having an absolute nightmare connecting. But I, I just wanted to go back to uh, the bridge and the, the HIMARS story and look at it from a different angle. The Ukrainians have said very clearly that, you know, that they're saying this is a HIMARS strike. Now, they've based their entire STRATCOM strategy on telling the truth, on being honest and being believable. Now, you could say that that's just, you know, the way that they've decided to approach this, or you could say that they're... You know, they're they're wanting to maintain that position so that when they need to tell the big lie, it will, you know, later on for strategic effect in the campaign, it will be believed. I don't think they're going to throw away a reputation that they've built up over five months to try and confuse people as to whether or not this was a high Mars or an artillery strike. Um, Sorry, go on. No, John, I just want to just I want to clarify. Now, you're saying that they're not going to. They're not going to try to win the war better because they're honest about what your ocean is telling you. Uh, that, that, that doesn't. That doesn't seem like good logic to me. You know, but, if I was at war, I'd be telling lies every fucking day. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying, Donny. What I'm saying is that they have very consistently, since the beginning of the war, based their communication strategy on being straightforward being honest and being believable so that when the ukrainian government says well this is what's happened people believe it that's been their approach so far what i'm saying is that could that could number one just be their general approach or number two they're putting that all in the bank so that later on in the conflict if they have to tell a big lie that they need to be believed to achieve a strategic effect that it would be believed but my my point is if they're saying it's HIMARS and it's not HIMARS, that's a very small thing to throw away a reputation that has been carefully created, curated over five months. Okay, but my, this, my point being is that their reputation means little to nothing. <laughs> like, we all see these tiny holes that are obviously the one five five shells. I mean, this, you know, so my, my, my point being, my point being is that, is that, you know, that is the whitest of lies you can tell during a war in order to win a war. You know, like, I don't think that anybody gives a flying fuck about the reputation of saying that if they shot a Gimler versus a Heimar, don't give a shit. What they do care about is winning the war. And so winning the war means lying sometimes if you have so i mean that's all i'm trying to say but go ahead yeah thank you and yes i do understand the principle of deception in conflict uh completely and i'm not trying to put this from the perspective of oh you know they they need to have a very good reputation because that's very important that that's not what i mean at all um but anyway i'm clearly not making that that point very clearly and i've I've been in a bit of a rush this morning so I'll, i'll just move on to the next thing i've been out for for a little while um so it's quite possible that 155 ammunition has you know has moved on in terms of its design um but i've been to a lot of firepower demonstrations i've never been shelled by 155 but i've seen the effects of 155 many times i've never seen a 155 round that can do that to that much concrete and rebar never and then go on to make a further impact underneath the structure that it's just penetrated i just so the idea that i mean maybe maybe it is maybe i'm just completely wrong but i just find it really really difficult to believe that that's 155 uh and the third point was the uh german chap who was talking about civilians bimbling around the you know the impact site and being able to take videos um if it is just a normal ukrainian civilian who's made that video did we just lose him yep i think we lost john
Uh, we bumped John down, but I think uh, maybe Portland can speak to a little bit of this, and uh, maybe we'll get John back. Portland, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, uh, the the conversation cut out for me, so I have no idea where you lost me, and I don't know if the conversation has moved on. Yeah, we had a little bit of a change into the co-host guard, Portland. I don't, to be honest, I'm I've lost a little bit uh, of the thread of what's happening to do. But maybe I can do a little like a little gear change here. Um, so there's recently been a radar that was hit in Kherson, an S-band radar. Um, I was trying to ask John about it, but John didn't really wasn't able to tell me too much. Um, but I'm trying to pull up uh, exactly what it was. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about, though? This S-band I, radar. I am. That is the low angle search radar. The idea behind that thing is that it's sitting up high enough that it can, to some extent, see around the curvature of the Earth and thus allow engagements of low flying targets that are relatively close that the top plate radar uh, would otherwise not be able to see. <clears throat> the fact that the Ukrainians hit it and hit it successfully is indicative of the fact that they are, um, that the Russians are really struggling. And I mean, how rare are these radars? Like, are they, is it, it's obviously not replaceable, but I mean, just to get a broad sense, um, knocking one of these out, how, how big of a dent is that in their total number of these radars? So it's difficult to tell because they use the same name uh, for two wildly different radars. The original uh, Podlets, which is uh, translates as Scoundrel, um, was a fairly capable uh, radar that was introduced with the original S-300 back in the 70s. There is a the, the Russians have plenty of those. There is a newer version, which is um, um, both mechanically and electronically scanned. It's actually uh, really quite a fearsome system, all things told. So... And Portland, what's what is the S band? Um, like I know they, this John said it was a higher frequency or higher bandwidth, but that's all I really know. Uh, could you explain what what an S band is and why an S band radar is different than a different band? Go ahead. So basically, the higher your frequency band, the easier time you will have picking up small radar cross section objects like stealth aircraft. Um, but the lower your resolution will be and the more you will be subject to atmospheric attenuation. So S-band radars compensate for this by outputting a lot of energy over a relatively narrow beam and using a combination of mechanical and electronic scanning to um, to compensate. Gotcha. And it seems that the... the the way this was destroyed was HIMARS. At least that's what John said when I asked him. Um, so, I mean, if you had to speculate, it's probably maybe not even worth speculating because it could be any of these, but you can just say that if, if it's true. I mean, how do we think they found this thing? Was it just the fact that it was outputting a huge electronic uh, signature or, you know, like uh, Battle Moose always says, it's like lighting up uh, light in the dark? Or do you think it was maybe human intelligence? Like, how would you go about uh, tracking one of these radars down to hit it with a HIMARS to get the GPS coordinates? Go ahead. I mean, honestly, it would make perfect sense to me um, if this was a... um, if this was simply a product of the Russians radiating when they really should Gotcha. So maybe some other stuff is coming in. They flipped the thing on, then uh, had a big signature, and all Heimars went to work, huh? I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but yeah, that's the way it looks to me. Gotcha. And um, I don't know, CJ had an interesting idea uh, earlier today. Uh, I think maybe some people, like, for example, you and uh, Daniel were able to break down the chronology of it a little bit better. So maybe it's not the case. But CJ speculated that Russia might be using fighter aircraft to try to hit HIMARS and intercept HIMARS directly. Um, do you think that's possible to try to use a fighter aircraft to, like, shoot down a HIMARS? Um, and that's why we're seeing these more sophisticated Russian planes uh, in the sky right now, and, and they're going down? 
Russia only has one combination of fighters and missiles that have even the, the minimally plausible chance of actually being able to intercept HIMARS, and that would require them to be flying caps uncomfortably close to Ukrainian SAMs. Um, and the thing is, is that the massive engines on the MiG-31 require complete teardowns every 300 hours. They are some of the most difficult planes to keep in the fleet uh, that they have. Um, the problem that they will have is that at the top of its apogee, HIMARS is going so slow that it won't get picked up by the track extractor. Um, it will then fall for about 2,000 meters. By the time it's fallen for around 2,000 meters, it will pass the 200 meters per second threshold for most moving target indicators and will be uh, designated as a valid trap. From detectability to impact is approximately a minute and 15 seconds. So you've got to vector a fighter, get a lock, get a missile out, and bearing in mind that these missiles are designed to intercept targets at very high altitudes. They don't have superb acceleration. They're very, very large missiles, I think. MiG-31 can carry two of them. I think it's the R-40. Um, and they have a maximum speed of Mark 3.5. They achieve maximum speed in about 11 seconds. And then they uh, decelerated around six times mark due to air resistance. Um, and then once they hit terminal velocity, they begin to decelerate much more slowly. So with a peak speed of about Mach 3.5, doing some sort of rough and ready math in my head, they probably have an effective maximum speed of... Oh, around Mach 1.8, uh, which means that they are covering nearly 650 meters per second, which means that in a minute, 15 seconds, they have to be within 60-some kilometers. No, less than that. Hold on. But so what I'm hearing from you is like it's theoretically possible on paper, but the density that they would need to put aircraft up in the air kind of makes it not feasible. Is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, yeah, but I, I do want to back it up with some some numbers. Bear with me for a second. Sure, no worries. I assume both Herm and Liberal, you have a question for Portland. So, uh, But if either of you don't, this might be a good time. Okay, so you would need to be within 47 kilometers um, with no lag time, no decision-making time. You would just need to be there within, you know, 75 seconds, ready to go, making a decision, and uh, launching that missile. So you would need to be in exactly the right place, um with a pre-authorization to launch um, with um, exactly the right missile, and you would need to be able to cover the entire 1,100 kilometers depth and 850 kilometers width of Ukraine in order to pull that off, which frankly seems like a bit of a tall order to me. Well, maybe I'll put it this way. Like, if you're a Russian commander and, like, HIMARS is going to town on your ammo depots, like, is it something you might try? Your S-400s aren't working. Is it something you might try? Go ahead. I mean, if I was that desperate, I might give it a go. Um, I would be, in general, much, much more interested in the potential to if I had pilots with the skill to pull it off I would want hang on a second, I gotta make sure I'm doing this right yep, sure no problem yep. okay, 
No, I'm doing this wrong. Um, I would want to... Um, if I had the pilots that were capable of the kind of joint operations, which are uh, really necessary um, for for the kind of operations we're contemplating, I would want to have enough density of fighter cover that I could launch um, basically scud hunt missions uh, and track down the launches themselves and engage them through Russian air defenses. That requires them to be able to coordinate um several squadrons uh in flight simultaneously which thus far they have not demonstrated the ability to do thank you for the detailed answer portland and now uh herm and then liberal uh, you guys have been very patient herm go ahead herm okay let's go we got Herm. go ahead i'm um, sorry um i had some audio issue um uh, uh, Portland, uh, can I come back to the question that I asked you when you um, cut out earlier about the um, Jeppard um, uh, spotting and, uh, and tracking radar system in terms of would be sufficient to um, autonomously um, identify and track UAVs and cruise missiles, or would they need uh, assistance from other uh, units uh, and then data link in order to perform a defensive task against those uh, Russian assets? Oh, 100% uh, Gepard uh, operates under local control and um, is entirely happy, like totally unconcerned with data links. It's got a very, very good high-resolution radar um, all it is there to do is engineer circumstances such that the enemy knows for sure that it cannot outmaneuver, uh, it cannot, um, uh, basically you're trying to en en uh, engineer circumstances such that the enemy knows um, that no matter what avenue they choose what methodology they choose to come and try to engage you they are going to be hosed no matter what and that is true for the let's say all intents on the caliber missiles they they can um, provide effective denial capabilities yeah if they're in the right place at the right time yeah there's no reason they can't engage caliber um it would be now you know, you've got to remember, this is a last-ditch defense. This is like, if you have nothing left in the theater, this will do the trick. Uh, that is not to, the same as saying that, like, I would rate it over any one of a number of different systems that I have speculated about on this space. But, you know... It's it's a very very credible system. Oh, so thank you so very much. Uh, um, if I may, um, so if you would put one, two of those, three of those uh, next to Mikolai for Dessa and Kiev, and uh, um, then you probably based on contingency the Germans granting to uh, you know Ukraine, is, it doesn't allow for more. Um, would you rather have them there defending for those um, just based on capabilities, not strategy? to defend against those cruise missiles, or would you uh, rather have them mopping up um, all intents uh, on the battlefield to deny um, artillery reconnaissance? I would unfortunately have to take the pretty unfortunate and brutal approach, which would be I would want to see them used first to destroy targets um, to to accompany Ukrainian armor and provide the inner layer of the defensive bubble so that those units can operate without fear of molestation from uh, Russian forces. Oh, thank you so very much. I dropped down now. That was my big question. Thank you very much. I'm glad I could help. 
And just remember, you know, guys, I am literally a Twitter rando. So, like, you know, just because I say it doesn't mean that it's, uh, you know, this is this is the opinion of a guy who passed staff college and then caught a bullet to the face. So, you know, my opinion is no more valid here than anybody else's. Thank you, Portland and Herm. Uh, next, we'll go to Liberal. Hey, Liberal, Joseph. go ahead. I'm digging the avatar or photo. Um, I had a question for Portland. Portland, um, I know someone said earlier that um, the strike on the bridge might have been a an artillery range-finding shot, but I'm not an expert. You obviously know a lot more than I do. Um, I think you would agree that the, the, the way that that munition punched a hole right through the concrete um, would lead you to believe that it's uh, a high Mars um, munition. Um, it looks like a, 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 um, a shape charge type of um, explosion. So I agree that it's an interesting detonation, but I disagree that it's a high Mars. Um, that's not to say, um, you know, the, 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 the details of the strike are such that it looks a lot more like uh, an artillery strike, just just bog-standard tube artillery, and the first round hit clean and the other round didn't. So I think it is not a ranging shot. I think it is a messaging shot. Because if you think about it, two rounds leaving holes in the bridge, no big deal. On the other hand, if you devote six guns uh, firing full batteries of six rounds each, um, and now you have a non-functional bridge. So do we know for sure that it was just two shots that were fired? Uh, we don't know for sure, but um, the evidence we have uh, strongly suggests that it was um, uh, a... Uh, that that two shots struck. The Russians claim to have shot down a bunch of HIMARS and they put out this ridiculous propaganda thing claiming to be that, you know, this was a shot down HIMARS. And uh, I debunked that uh, in about 20 minutes while I was driving in between courts. So, you know, it's a... it's a faintly ridiculous thing for them to be uh, attempting to assert. Yeah, I agree with your comment earlier that um, this is essentially a calling card to the Russian forces that they can at will strike that bridge. If they took two shots and hit both times, I mean, that's pretty impressive. I mean, you know, there's there are too many different ways that are all equally coherent that you can interpret the evidence to hand, right? Um, Maybe it was just two rounds. Maybe it was a ranging shot. Maybe Maybe it was was a warning. warning. Um, Maybe it was a couple of dudes who were just like, I bet you can't hit that one, Ivan. And then Ivan proceeds to hit that one. You know, it's it. There are lots of different plausible explanations, and I think it does a, a disservice to the group for me to like um, go out and pretend that like I have some deeper insight into the psychology of of the situation than I really do. You know, at the end of the day, I am a an internet rando in possession of exactly as much information as the rest of you it's just you know i have been downrange i have been shot at um as a rule i know what it looks like when somebody is uh shall we say making a point i respect your humility and uh every time you speak um thanks portland well thank you very much you know i uh you know, I I perpetually worry about outstaying my welcome because I do tend to come on here and, like, suck all the air out of the room. And uh, I just want you guys know to, like, 
know that I am listening and learning as much as I am talking. Um, and, uh, you know, I learned a couple of useful things being a teaching assistant, which is one of the best ways to learn to understand a subject is to teach it. So well, I, just, I just physically shuddered with uh, teaching assistant flashbacks there, but go ahead. I'm going to say maybe Portland, you can sign off here because I, I, I know you were getting tired. So maybe anything, any last uh, thoughts you want to leave us with? Go ahead. Oh, I'm uh, I'm good for a little bit, but uh, oh, sure. yeah, okay. if I'm if I'm uh, I'm I'm happy to make way for other speakers as they uh, if there's anybody else that wants to uh, suck up all the information in the room, you know. Yeah. No, that's fine, Portland. We're happy to have you up here. Sorry, go ahead, finance. Yeah, I'm, I, Portland, I'm still on this kick for for how much high Mars. Uh, sorry, the attic cams ammunition is that shot by its own system, or does that get shot by a high Mars system? That can get shot by an M270 or by an M140, which is the serial designation for um, what we colloquially call high Mars. Hey, Portland, Daniel. Barfire just sent me a video of another strike or a reported strike 15 minutes ago on the same bridge. Um, I'm going to shoot you um, via DM this video. Um, let us know what you think. I will. Thank you. I'll uh, I'll watch it before I head to bed. And <coughs> all right. So I'm also on the kick of how much does. A round of uh, Atacam's ammunition cost if you're buying, you know, the standard bulk package, however much that is, thousand rounds. I don't know what, what you buy here. Um, I believe if we take the Romanian procurement as indicative, they wind up costing something on the order of like half a million dollars each. And how many? countries currently have the capabilities of producing that without massive import substitution um so only one country can actually produce them but there are quite a few people that actually have them um let me pull up my defense procurement agency documents uh bahrain has them Greece has the 165-kilometer version. South Korea has a has an export license uh, and produces them by uh, in Hanwha Group. Romania has the 310-kilometer version, which is not 310 kilometers; it's 475 kilometers. Uh, Turkey has them. United Arab Emirates has them. The United States Army and Marines have them. Poland is expected to take delivery within weeks. Australia has uh, 20 of them with um, 10 Atacams rockets um, already on offer. So we're talking about like one, two that will acquire them within months. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven already have them, and two countries can produce them. Are, are those two countries uh, Germany and the U.S.? No, the two countries are the United States and South Korea. So given South Korea can produce these, they could basically just level a bunch of North Korea if need be? So, interesting story about that. I was once in on a planning. It was, uh, we call it a tactical exercise without troops, right? Um, it's a tabletop exercise where you've got a ref uh, that sets the terms. Uh, you've, got a, you've got a bunch of other um, authorities of various kinds that are um, determining outcomes. And what they did was they they took the situation, and I think it was like 18th of November 2009, um, and they just said, okay, with the resources that we have in theater right now, Ukraine, sorry, uh, 
North Korea has launched a full-scale invasion of the South. They are pounding Seoul with every kind of uh, ballistic missile and artillery piece that they have to hand. Um, Our job is to figure out what we're going to do about it. And um, the best performer um, essentially caused... Uh, North Korea to cease to exist as a functioning state in about 90 minutes. And the worst performer um, caused uh, North Korea to functionally cease to exist as a, uh, as a, a meaningful state in about 12 hours. So, you know, that's, that's stuff I've done and planned for and, executed uh you know as necessary for training and maybe just for our audience portland we can explain that you know north korea has these uh mountain bunkers with artillery in them right and so uh, a tool like atacams uh is good for for going into it has the cavitation power to hit uh those types of bunkers is is that correct that's why they would have Um, that capability so they've got a mixture of two munitions that are really good for that. I am a big fan of a weapon called uh, GBU-28, which has much, much better penetration through um, through hard rock than Atacams does. Um, so I like dropping... I like using a double tap, which is I'll hit them with a thermobaric device first that I want to get as deep into the tunnel as I can make it and then I'm going to hit them with a GBU-28 and collapse the entrance to the tunnel on top of them. That way I don't have to fight their artillery. Got it. And I guess just like a weird um, side story. Uh, In South Korea, I guess about 1,400 bakeries have closed because of a lack of Ukrainian wheat. I need to confirm this story. I'm going to do that real quick. But uh, that's just like a random uh, side story uh, about South Korea and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is the, the, the tragedy uh, of the moment. Um, you know, it's, it's not just fucking up the situation for Ukrainians basically everywhere that isn't rich enough to have access to uh, uh, Western sources of wheat is 